It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Welcome back to Talk TV with me, Jake Berry. For those of you who watched throughout the adverts, thank you for sticking with us. And of course, I'm still joined by Matthew Lazar, who was not least a leading Labour Party advisor to Edward Miliband and Alicia Fitzgerald, a journalist. We're going to go straight now to the exclusive interview we did here earlier this week on Talk TV with Dame Priti Patel, former Home Secretary under Boris Johnson. She left the government of her own accord following Boris Johnson's stepping down. Was he forced or was he was he did it voluntarily? She talks a bit about that. We're going to hear from her about immigration, her views on tax, the autumn statement, a bit about Boris, but most fascinatingly of all, I think you've got to watch right to the end to hear this, her views on Nigel Farage. Very controversially, she lifts the lid on the conversation she's had with Nigel about whether he joined the Conservative Party. Let's hear from Dame Pretty. So, Dame Pretty, tell what a week we've had in politics and we're going to talk about it. Now, look, it's the autumn statement and you wrote before the autumn statement that you wanted a pro-growth tax-cutting autumn statement from the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt. Did he deliver it for you? I'll tell you how I feel about the autumn statement. My sense is with the Chancellor, he's just sort of nudged the door open a little bit in terms of laying forward that sort of foundational pathway to lower business taxes in particular. And I think business taxes, lowering them are really important because all of that does lead to a pro-growth economy. Mm. It leads to more investment in our country and in skills and in the labour market and everything else. I feel that he's just set the direction of travel. We're not there yet. We're nowhere near there yet. And we can talk about some of the measures. But I genuinely think, you know, this is really the last chance to start signalling that intent, laying those key foundations and really demonstrating that the Conservative Party in government is a party that is on the side of business. But, so you think it was a Conservative sort of themed autumn statement, but let me just pick up on a couple of points. I mean, first of all, taxes are higher than they've ever been in our sure history. Yeah, we, we always know, talk we about being a low tax party, but we're the government of the highest taxes on record. So, you know, is you know, have we already gone too far raising taxes or is this a genuine sort of conservative way forward so you may not have seen the obr and some of the forecasts 
I think it's pretty self-evident that the tax burden is, is, is appallingly high. Yeah. We, are, we have seen a Conservative government, and I think I wrote, wrote this this week mm. as well, high inflation, highest rates of taxation in 70 years. The Institute of Fiscal Studies have quantified this, and it's, it's jaw-dropping stuff. Now, the government can make the case as to why that is. COVID, for example, naturally, um, external factors, Ukraine, Russia war, in, you know, the implications of all of that, energy prices, you name it, you go on and on and on. A lot of the tax rises predate that. <clears throat> so um, you've signed this thing called the, the UK Tax Pledge, That's which right, is a yes, pledge that yeah, you won't vote yeah. to increase that. In fact, I've signed it as well. Yeah. But it, a lot of the tax rises predate COVID. And in fact, we were already on a trajectory of taxes going up well, well before So you that. know why? So you have to, I think, I mean, look, Is we, Boris Johnson's we could sit down and do a matrix of the taxes that have mm. gone up. And actually, I think, you know, there's a lot, lot to be said for that. I mean, I've just come from Parliament and I've spoken in Parliament and basically said, I want to see more transparency. I believe in following money, people, outcomes. Mm. I think for every pound the state spends, there should be greater transparency. But you've asked a question about when did taxes go up? Well, corporation tax went up, you know, under the Boris Johnson government. Look at the whole issue, and I speak about this a lot, freezing tax allowances, which leads to fiscal drag, which yeah. drags more people into higher rates of tax bans. I thought we should have seen those shifted, and I would like to see that, and I will continue to lobby the government on all of that. Now, I'm an ex-Treasury minister, and we can all make the case as to why it was important to freeze them at a certain time. They could be inflationary with everything else that's going on. You have to look at the dynamic interaction within the economy. However, that was then. We are where we are now. And the most important thing about the direction of travel is that it is right that Jeremy Hunt starts signalling the way forward on lower taxes both for personal taxation, I do want to speak about that in a minute, but also business taxation. I actually think there's a lot more that can be done on both, and I've said some of that in Parliament mm. today. Um, and it's inevitable. The Chancellor has views as to how he can do that. We all have our own views too. We have to hit the right spot so that we have sustained economic growth. And importantly, the public, and it is about the public, feel that they have, not just feel that they have it, but they actually have more money in their pockets and that they're keeping more of the money that they earn. So look, two things. On business taxes, the Chancellor said today, uh, this week in the autumn statement, that it's the biggest business tax cut on record by introducing this thing called full, full expensing. expensing. Mm. But in fact, this, that doesn't even compensate <laughs> for the increase in corporation tax. That's right. Now, are they being straightforward with the public or are they, so, or, or are they sort of conning, your, your background's business, are I they know, conning business? Okay. I'm, ne business I'm never going knows. to get into the debate about, you know, language around, mm. you know, are they being honest and conning and all this kind of stuff. I'm on the record on my views on corporation tax. Yeah. I think it should have been lowered. And I'm going to give you the classic example of what happens when you reduce corporation tax. We joined Parliament at the same time. 2010 to 15, that palm was quite tough, actually. Terrible economic backdrop, financial crisis. But guess what? A Conservative, actually it was Coalition Government, mm. did at the time, lowered corporation tax. And by 2015, business investment in the UK had gone up by nearly 32%. It was actually 31.9%. And that is a classic example of how you can actually do the signalling to the world internationally, to businesses of all shapes and sizes, of what happens when you create the right kind of 
business taxation in your jurisdiction. And I'm a believer in that. And as you all know, because I think you may have joined me in this debate during the um, before the summer, actually, around the after the budget. Um, the minimum rate of corporation tax, which is this OECD project that Rishi Sunak has signed us up to. He signed the country up to that during the pandemic, and I don't think there's been much transparency around that. That is effectively giving away our tax sovereignty and letting the OECD set the rate of minimum level of corporation tax, which we will not effectively be in charge of ourselves. That's only one aspect to it. But quite frankly, the government should absolutely run ahead and slash corporation tax because that's the biggest, biggest example of actually putting rocket fuel in the tanks of business and saying we are open to the world and making us competitive going forward. And then the whole issue about full expensing because we have discussed this in Parliament quite extensively, is I think it just will create a new army of regulation, more tax accountants and you know lawyers that businesses have to hire. And that defeats the object, you know, quite frankly. Why do we need to get into that regulatory space all over again? Because they still have to interact with HMRC to get the full benefits of full expensing. So I would much rather see a simpler tax system, one that is much more transparent. And we've heard today about the abolition of national insurance, class mm. two. Um, national insurance for people that are self-employed. I just think, you know, that's a good thing, but actually you could have merged income tax and national insurance and made it much more clinical. But that, and can the Conservatives win the election without cutting taxes further? I, I'm not sure, and I say this because we have to go back to what we stand yeah. for philosophically, which at the end of the day is being on the side of hard-working people, speaking about aspiration, economic security for families and for people that go out to work. And I would much rather see a coherent set of policies and a narrative around that. Now, you know, to be honest, those that are running the Conservative Party right now will make the calls and make the decisions on that. But I genuinely But are they believe... making the right call on tax? So I don't think they are. I think there's more. I think there's more to do. And I've, mm. I've, I'm saying that here. I've said that publicly in the House of Commons as well. I think there is more to do, and I do think we have to be consistent and coherent in making that case for reform. And by the way, Jake, linked to this, you know, everyone will say, and I think Rishi Sunak may have said this tax cuts cannot be unfunded, we'll have a better programme basically to deal mm. with government spending and the expenditure of the state. Moving on from tax, you introduced the points-based immigration system as per the manifesto that both you and I <coughs> stood on. We've mm. seen new immigration figures this week. I mean, they're eye-wateringly large. How have we got to the point where the government seems to have lost control of immigration? So it's really important to differentiate between the legal system, mm. and rightly you've mentioned the points-based immigration system, and I do want to talk about this. And then you've got the illegal issue, which is obviously very contentious, but I don't think the government yeah. has handled that particularly well. On the points-based system, there are very, very clear parameters as to how people come to our country, because on points-based system, they come here to work. So they have to be sponsored. So it's all through employer-led schemes. And also, they're net contributors to the Exchequer. So, you know, we can't just assume that people are coming here and there's lots of free riding taking place. They have to pay the immigration health surcharge, which is in the thousands of pounds, yeah. not just for them, but for their family members. And also their visas are incredibly expensive it's, too, and they're coming to contribute. Based on that system, is there a sort of 
is there a ceiling on it? Are you relaxed for that to go as high as, as, no. high as anyone, want, so, anyone can go? So, Jake, when I left the department mm. last year, which I left government, um, you know, out of, out of on my own terms, yeah. basically, I chose to, I resigned from government because, quite frankly, of the appalling antics that took place in Westminster with a lot of, lot of our colleagues. Um, we actually put in measures and we handed over to my then successor what I used to call the automatic stabilizers, which is a bit of a treasury term. Those are the levers that the Home Secretary had to basically reduce the number of people coming into the country. So increases with the Migration Advisory Committee on salary thresholds, for example, yeah. um, which is really important. You know, that has to keep on increasing. And we saw this previously, that if you don't do that, you just have people coming in to do jobs, which quite frankly could be done by British people in the UK, but they also have to be skilled and trained. The other factor, and I'm very vocal about this, and I was when Rishi Sunak was Chancellor, and I'm very mm. disappointed there's been no movement on this. I believe we need a UK-wide labour market strategy because by having a points-based system, you cannot just rely on migrant workers coming in despite the majority of this being quite, you know, pretty high-skilled at the higher-end threshold, mm. so they are net contributors. Moving on to illegal migration, mm. Look, Suella Braverman's resignation letter was an absolute corker. There is a prize. You may have won it, actually, for resignation of the year here in Parliament. That should win resignation letter of the century. And one thing she pointed out in that letter about her concerns about the Rwanda plan was the failure of the government to incorporate ways of getting around the Convention on Human Rights, the European Convention on Human <clears throat> Rights, and the, uh, the British uh, Human Rights Act. Do you think the government should have taken a more robust approach when they were bringing forward the Illegal Migration Act to ensure that we could get the Rwanda plan off the ground? So I don't think it's as straightforward and simple as that. Mm. And everyone has a view, you know, I mean, I, I remember being lectured by people saying, you need to do this when you were home sexual and legal migration. People behaved as if I sat and did nothing. You know, we did pushback and turnbacks. Mm. And quite frankly, even the Royal Navy did not want to participate in pushback yeah. and turnbacks. And then there were issues such as SOLAS, International Treaty, Saving Lives at Sea. You specifically asked about ECHR and the domestic implications of mm. that. Well, Boris Johnson as Prime Minister actually set up an illegal migration task force where government law officers were asked to look at that particular aspect, the deviations, the derogations of certain aspects of ECHR, and the advice that came back from ministers who led the government law officers at the time was that that was too difficult and not possible to do. So do we have to leave the ECHR in, in terms, look, we need to have a sovereign immigration policy, we need to... 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do we have to leave the ECHR to, to do, do what? that? To do what? To implement Rwanda? Well, to implement Rwanda and stop so the So not boats. to implement Rwanda, no, because if you listen to the Supreme Court judge hearing, mm-hmm. the judgment and the Court of Appeal judgment... The Supreme Court was explicit that their decision was not based on any aspect of ECHR. They were explicit about that. What they did say, and I think this is really interesting, and I think the government is going to come under pressure on this. Um, I will be interacting with the new Home Secretary, and I have had conversations already, is the whole issue of refoulement where effectively when you send migrants to asylum seekers to a third country to process their claims, which is the principle of Rwanda, that effectively that they should not be sent back to the country that they left or to another country where they could be subject to, quite frankly, degrading conditions and human rights violations. Now, I'm afraid that is not new news. When I entered the partnership with Rwanda... We put a lot of money actually into the Rwanda, into Rwanda directly as part of that agreement to build capacity around asylum case processing, to do all the assurances around legal processes, to bring all the accommodation facilities forward and importantly, raise the bar on resettlement so that people rebuild their lives. So, Jake, to your point, that has nothing to do with ECHR. And the questions now are what, what on earth was going on in government over the last 12 months? Because they were on the hook on this and they had plenty of notice on this point of refoulement when the Court of Appeal basically ruled against the government. OK, so look, over 100 million quid, I think, has gone into Rwanda. Yes. Are we going to see flights leave with all of the challenges the government has? Well, Are we I, going to see flights leave? I can't leave answer that the, well, because, because, quite frankly, before the general election. Well, I want them to, yeah. and, I, and I, I will be very candid. I am very annoyed by that Supreme Court ruling, mm. and I tell you for why. Because I absolutely, having set up that scheme, people, some commentators had the audacity to say, "Oh, we just rushed into it and didn't do any work." That is complete mm. nonsense. I went to the UN, the United Nations. I sat down with the head of UNHCR, with the Rwandan Foreign Minister, to have the discussions, and it was the UNHCR evidence that went to the Supreme Court that basically led against, the, led against, um, went against the government. So. The government actually has to roll its sleeve up, sleeves up right work. now and do the hard graft. And there is hard graft. And I, think it's, and I think that's really disappointing that actually that was not even recognised. We don't know the work that's taken place mm. over the last 12 months. And I think there should be questions as to what work happened. Italy has signed an agreement with Albania. Yes, which will see yeah. up to 32,000 people a year sent to Albania. Is it time the government thought of a plan B, thought of a different country? Would you be just as happy to see people sent to the third country if that was Albania? So look, the government has lots of options and choices. Mm. I mean, to be quite frank, Jake, when we did the Rwanda scheme, we had multiple dialogues with other countries as well. Uh, we were already in discussions with Albania, not for resettlement, not directly. But should that be where the government goes next? I mean, it's, I, it's I don't sad, know. isn't it a sad day when we're saying if only we were as good as I the government know. as Italy? I, I, I disagree with that. I completely disagree with that. I really right. do. On the basis that we have the Rwanda scheme and oh. it's in everybody's interest to make that scheme work. OK, so it's Rwanda or bust. 
I think I think the scheme is deliverable. I really do. Before but the, the government before has the to do election. the work. We can sit here and discuss yeah. the pros and cons. Neither of us are there. I need to. We need to see. The government is on the hook now. The government needs to roll its sleeves up and make that plan deliverable. I had an army of officials in the Home Office that were working day in day out on the deliverability deliver. of that scheme. So questions have to be asked. What has gone wrong? And they need to fix it. Okay. So. Um, do you think that Suella Bradman was right to describe these marches we've seen in central London as hate marches? Look, I'm not Jake. I'm not going to get into her descriptions mm. as to those marches. Um, you know, the job of the Home Secretary, having been there for over three years, is in, it's incredibly tough and it's difficult. And there is a balance, and I do believe mm. in freedom of speech and freedom of expression, there is a balance of people going out on the streets and protesting, but doing it within the rule of law and respecting actually the values of our own country. And, you know, I, I've got very strong views myself on, on the protests, on yeah. why people were coming out. But at the same time, we're in a very difficult and precarious situation when you look at what's going on in the Middle East and how people have been expressing themselves. And quite frankly, what I think is not right is when we sort of give a running commentary and criticise the police every day. Um, I know operationally Would you what be the critical police do. of them allowing people to climb on war memorials? I would, of course. And quite frankly, I have done. Mm. So I was Home Secretary when the Black Lives Matters protests took place. There were protests, that, there was something like 65 protests that took place during the pandemic, I think it was from literally May 2020 to March 2021, and we had all sorts of protests taking place. And quite frankly, you know, the police had a very, very difficult job in, number one, policing them, making sure they did not turn into grotesque escapades mm. of violence, and that sadly, in some cases, they did. And that's where we had, if you recall, the Coulson statue that was toppled over. Mm. I was about to introduce the Police Crime Courts and Sentencing Bill into Parliament. We saw some of the most ridiculous acts of thuggery and mm. violence take place, which, you know, it's right that we stand up and criticise them. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, the police... The police act within the laws. If they feel they need, they need more powers and more laws, then those are the discussions that they need to have with the government of the day. OK, so um, the other thing I suppose we have to contemplate, if I may, I think you're, you're sitting pretty, really, aren't you? You've got a 24,082 majority in Whitton. Um, I'm, I'm sort of getting a bit nervous with the 9,000 majority. Do you think the Labour Party... Is a government in waiting? Does Keir Starmer look like a serious individual to you who's ready to take the reins of power? So look, we've been around a bit politically mm. now and, you know, we've seen different governments as well. Coalition government, I remember, I remember the Tony Blair government and I used to work with a lot of new Labour people as well when I, prior to coming to Westminster. I think our focus should be on us and governing the country and focusing on winning the, winning the election. There are lots of things that I dislike about Labour. There are lots of things we all dislike about Labour. There really are. And I think, actually, our job is to demonstrate with some conviction and confidence that we are going to win the election, can win the election, and that we're going to take the country to a better future. Um, and the type of future that Labour cannot deliver, because they themselves are a divided party. I know sometimes our party doesn't look exactly happy and united and you know, particularly friendly, but the reality is... You know, socialism runs deep in their party mm. and socialism is corrosive and it has corrosive impacts on countries and economies and on individuals and people. And I don't want to see that in our country. 
So every general election is a referendum on your personal future. That's people go out and vote Conservative because they believe that we offer the best for their future. Do you think Rishi Sunak's made a mistake by bringing David Cameron back? Is that harking back to you know, what used to be good rather than looking to the future? It's an interesting choice, isn't it? I mean, it's been very... I think it's, it's been interesting. It's been different to watch the return of David Cameron. Mm. I do... I, I, you know, I, we were MPs when David Cameron was leader of the Conservative Party, went on to become Prime Minister. And I remember those coalition days, sometimes, you know, fondly, because we no, got a lot I don't think anyone done. thinks that David Cameron is, is, you know, is a bad individual, but is it a retrograde step? to sort of look back and bring him back into government rather than... I think it's to... unusual in mm. that sense. Of course it, you know, of course it's unusual. But at the same time, I mean, I actually think we need more experience in government. I also think we've got a lot of experience on our back benches. Yeah. You know, so that's the choice that Rishi Sunak has made. And, you know, the, the public might actually you know, have, a, have, have a view on that as well. It was an well eye-opening eye reshuffle. Um, Suella got fired. David Cameron got bought back. Mm. Um, you know, it certainly was one. It was different one. in that sense. It was different. So um, was it Rishi Wright to fire Suella? Well, that's his call. Yeah. You know, that's absolutely the prerogative. Um, his prerogative. He's made, obviously, he's brought James Cleverley. James Cleverley is my neighbour, by the way, in yeah. Essex as well. Um, and, you know, I think we have to look forwards, not backwards. I really yeah. do. Um, you, there could be an election next year. And at the I end of the day... there will be an election next year. Well, at the end of the day, I think it's important that everyone in government doesn't start airbrushing, mm. you know, the de programme of delivery that we had since 2019, but they start talking it up and they start to remind the public, A, what, we, what they voted for in 2019, mm. people's priorities and actually what we have delivered. Um, you're very busy. Are you going to spend any time to watch Nigel Farage in the jungle? I remember at Conservative Party conference, <laughs> you famously danced with Nigel Farage. So Are I do you going know to Nigel. watch him in the jungle? I do know Nigel. We get on, very, we get on well. Um, I haven't had time yet because it's, it's the start, it's start of his, his you know, big, big expedition in the jungle, so to speak. I think I will watch bits of it. So the bit, well, what bit? Because the big story this week was everyone saw Nigel Farage's bottom <laughs> as he was getting shared. We, we I haven't scroll watched back that. To see Nigel's I will bottom. not. I don't do all those replay type things. I really don't. So at some stage, maybe at the weekend, I will, I will just, you know, in between all the other things that I like watching, like Grand Prix and everything else, I, I, will, I will give it a go. And is he the future of the Conservative movement? Can you see Nigel Farage coming back as a Conservative? I don't know. And I actually, I've had those conversations with Nigel as well, you know, because our politics were very political, all that kind of stuff, very Thatcherite. Um, that's a call for him, actually, at the end of the day. It really is. You know, he may spend time in the jungle and think, you know, I've had enough of it all. <laughs> Thank you very much. And you might want to take see, up, tough, take up as, a new career doing reality TV. Well, he's already doing that. Can you see him as Conservative leader? No, I can't. No. Okay. Rishi Sunak's five election pledges. Uh, he's hit his inflation pledge mm -hmm. already, which I think everyone's celebrating. He's given this <clears throat> fiscal headroom to do these tax cuts, as we heard from the Chancellor in his autumn statement this week. How many of those other pledges do you think he's going to hit? So I'd like to see some concentration on the NHS, to be honest. So bringing, do you think he'll bring waiting lists down? We have to. Do you think he'll stop the boats? That's TBC. TBC. Do you think he will reduce debt? Well, I think you can look at the OVR forecast on that. Grow the economy? <laughs> see where it's going. It's important we grow the economy. We need economic growth. And, you know, we've had... We, 
you know, despite the pandemic, we have been growing, but at a very, very slow rate. So he's halved inflation. We give him one out of five. Um, do you think he's going to hit any of his other pledges? We by don't the end know of the year? yet. I mean, come on. You he's know. not going to stop the boats, is he? By we the don't. End of the we year. don't. Down to zero? I think yesterday there were quite a few boat arrivals, from what I gather, and here we are, sort of mid-November. Finally, um, have you read Nadine's book? No, I haven't. Have you seen any of the allegations in it? I've, I've, I've seen some of them. Do you think there was a plot, as Nadine says, of this channel to bring down Boris Johnson? So, look, I remember I had a front row seat actually mm. last year to um, everything that happened within government and around Boris. And I chose, to, as I said earlier on, I chose to leave government at that stage. And that was because I just didn't like the behaviours that I saw. Um, quite frankly, as I've touched on this already, mm. you know, we look divided, people actually quite frankly, scheming for jobs, mm. lots of shenanigans going on. I don't and support that. Will all, our members ever right. forgive uh, the MPs for kicking Boris out? So I actually think the members look at the parliamentary party with just so much concern. Yeah. They, I think they literally look at us in Westminster and say, what on earth do you think you're doing? What is going on? We didn't put you in there. Well, they didn't put Rishi there, did they? Well, they didn't. You, they would also turn around and say, we didn't send you to Westminster to behave in you know, terrible ways, upending democratically elected leaders and just not putting head down and putting shoulder to the wheel. And I think there's a sense of disappointment ac across the membership. Dame Prince Patel, thank you very much. Thank you. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast. Ruthless but fair. Julia Hartley Brewer. Comprehensive coverage of all the new stories that matter to you. Harder, older, Hartley Brewer. The Julia Hartley Brewer Podcast from Talk Radio. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, parents. Greenlight is here to take one big thing off your to-do list, teaching your kids about money. With a Greenlight debit card and money app of their own, kids and teens learn to earn, save, and invest. You can send money instantly, set flexible controls, and get real-time notifications of your kids' money activity. Set up chores and put allowance on autopilot to reward them for their hard work. Then learn about the world of money together. Get one month free when you sign up at greenlight.com podcast.